Genesis chapter 19. Today we will see Sodom's destruction. We're going to see the deliverance of Lot, two of his daughters. And uh, over all of it, we're going to... We're gonna see one of the just saddest moments in human history. So we need to pray. But before we do that, uh, we need to also encourage, I need to tell you, we need to encourage our disciples in Vietnam. So in the, in the lobby, there are gonna be six journal notebooks out there with pictures. There'll be a, a picture, um, just a short summary uh, the name, where the disciples at in their spiritual journey, and the idea is that you'll write words of encouragement to those disciples. You say, oh, I don't know them. Uh, hey, you've been praying for them. We've been talking about them. Just, just encourage them in the Lord, all right? We wanna, we wanna be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. Let's pray, and we'll get to work. Father, we love you, Lord. God, we need you. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us to see and hear what is in all truth your very word. God, deliver us from an attitude and a mentality that makes excuses, that reasons away scripture. When, when scripture is speaking to us, God, you love us. You're not willing that any in this world perish, but Lord, what we fail to recognize is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, we're already perishing without Christ. And so Lord, thank you for your great love for a lost and dying world. Thank you for your love for me, for my brothers and sisters in this place, that you'd be willing to see Jesus Christ made our sin at the cross of Calvary, made a sacrifice for our sin. And so Lord, help us to see your love. Help us to see the way of escape. Lord, help us to see that, God, with you is everything. Without you is nothing. And so, Lord, help us. We want to not just understand your word, but, Lord, we want to be good stewards of it. And so what we learn today, Lord, would you give us the ability to, to speak truth and love in a winsome way, but, but also unapologetically. Uh, Lord, we, the last person we want to offend ever is you. We don't want to misrepresent you. Uh, we don't want to explain you away. Lord, when, it's all, when the dust settles and it's all said and done, you will be true. Men will be found liars. Uh, with you is love and life everlasting. Apart from you, uh, there is nothing but judgment of sin. God, thank you for Jesus. Help us to, help us to never get over what you gave us in the person of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Genesis chapter 18, we saw God show up, have a conversation, have a, have a conference meeting with Abraham and, and uh, reminds him of his promise. He reconfirms the promise of a child through he and Sarah. And at the same time, he also gives the death sentence that's over Sodom. And he does this so that Abraham will pray. That Abram would, Abraham would pray for his nephew Lot and his family. And Abraham's 
message to the Lord is, you're the judge of all the earth, you're gonna do what's right. Are you gonna destroy the righteous with the wicked? If there's 50 righteous, would you, de- would you still destroy Sodom for its wickedness? Far be it from you, Lord. And uh, the Lord said, no, I won't do it for 50. If I find 50 righteous, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, he gets to thinking about it and he knows what a hot mess Sodom is and so he works the Lord down to 10. And I think that's because that's how many are in Lot's family at this point. Uh, we don't have anything, we don't have a, a solid cross-reference to tell us this, but, but it, it looks like he has some married daughters and some unmarried daughters, okay? And so it, it could be that Lot's a grandpa and, and there's 10 people in the family that, that Abraham is worried about. And the Lord said he won't destroy it for 10's sake. Uh, there's not 10 righteous in Sodom. But God hears the prayer of this saint. He hears Abraham's prayer to rescue his nephew Lot. And, and so that's what the Lord does. Now today's message, uh, I'm telling you, to, what we're gonna cover today in Genesis chapter 19 would be despised by the people in the culture of, culture of Sodom. They would hate this message. It would be despicable to them. It would be deplorable to them. Uh, they would view it, even though uh, God is not willing that any would perish, they would still view this as a message of hate speech. That's how, that's how they would frame it. And the scripture says that today the inhabitants of Sodom are in hell. They wouldn't like the truth, they loved a lie, and today Jude verse seven says they're, they're in hell. Uh, so it doesn't matter what we like. What matters is what's true. What matters is what God said. Okay, so you just gotta, you gotta do the math, you gotta decide up front. Uh, is there a God? There is a God. All this something could not have come from nothing. Okay, just here's my short little hack, right? Uh, You have to do the math. There's a whole lot of something out there. The only thing that could come from nothing is nothing. The fact that there is something, that's amazing. There is a God, there is a devil, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's been proven over and over again. It's full of, I mean, the only way that we can have this book is the eternal God from the end wrote it all down at the beginning, okay? Some, to get this book, somebody had to cheat. And that's what happened. The Lord declared the end from the beginning. And so it's full of fulfilled prophecy. The fact that Israel is a nation should have just done away with atheism and the agnostics. I mean, that whole mentality, like what happened in the middle last century is humanly impossible. But God prophesied it hundreds, thousands of years ago, okay? Uh, There is a God and he has given us his word and we would do well to take heed to it. Genesis 19.1 says, and there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate at Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground and said, behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, nay. So we'll see in a minute, he absolutely recognizes who they are, and he wants them to leave. <laughs> they said, nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. Uh, he knows what's up. He knows that they can't spend the night in the street 
And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did bake unleavened bread and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Uh, that we may know them, knowing someone in this context, okay? Biblically, this is polite Elizabethan English for uh, having sexual relations, okay? Sexual intercourse. Uh, you'll see this over and over again in scripture. A husband knew his wife and then she bare a child. Uh, so, you know, that is one way to really get to know someone. Okay, so anyway, that's what it is. Okay, so that we may know them is what they're saying. Uh, these are strangers. Bring them out so that we can have our way with them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him. So he's not in any danger. Uh, you know, these, I mean, I guess Lot wasn't a looker. So anyway, so Lot, shut, he goes out, he shuts the door. He still got the, the angels are inside his house and said, I pray, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. So if you didn't know what know meant, you're gonna get it from the context, aren't you? They've not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as it is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. Man, Lot doesn't even know how to think right, does he? What a mess. Un only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this fellow, Lot, this fellow came in to sojourn. He, came, he, he moved in here, he came here to live. He's not from here. And he will needs be a judge. Well, he is a judge, he's setting in the gate. We'll see that in a second. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men, again, the angels, verse one, put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Okay. Look at the total depravity of this society. Look at the unholy mentality. This is a utterly corrupt culture. Evil is good, good is evil. Uh, in their mind, God does not see. It does not matter what they do. And Lot, in verse one, is a leader of this community. He is a judge, verse nine. He's sitting in the gate of Sodom. That's where the elders of the city, that's where the leaders would sit to conduct the business, right? To, to deal with the civil issues of the community. Lot is helping to run this place. But notice that even with all of that, okay, he's utterly bought into the, 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 the culture of Sodom. He still recognizes when God's at work. These angels show up and he, he, he knows they're not from around there. And when the angels told Lot that God was gonna destroy Sodom, Lot believed them. We're gonna see that later on in the chapter, okay? Lot's a mess, but, but he still knows what's right, whether he's living what's right or not personally. 
So he believes them and tries to convince, we'll see this down in verse 14, he's gonna try to convince his married children to flee with them. So get this down in your notes. Here's what we know from comparing scripture with scripture. It's this, Lot is a righteous man, living carnal in a carnal world. He has a righteousness that is attributed to him. Scripture makes it plain. Check out 2 Peter chapter 2, verses seven and eight. God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy lifestyle. The filthy, this word conversation isn't just what you say, it's the totality of who you are in your living, right, your lifestyle. He's vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vex his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot in your Bible is a picture of the believer in the last days before Christ comes. In the last days, the Bible is very clear that men will call good evil and they will call evil good. They will love wickedness and hate righteousness and don't we see that rapidly coming to be, not just in Kansas City, but all over the world, we're seeing, we're seeing people switch out righteousness for evil and calling it good. Uh, he is a picture of the carnal believer living in the last days before judgment falls. And so here you have a man whom the Bible calls righteous, and he's living a life that's just a hot mess. Well, that's like so many believers today. You have imputed righteousness, my righteousness. I mean, brothers and sisters, check it out. You are looking at one righteous dude. I'm righteous, but not because I did anything right, okay? Everything that I did marked my spot in eternal damnation, in a lake of fire, in hell. The wages of sin is death, and death and hell will be cast into a lake of fire. Okay, what the works of righteousness that I did, the Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin, okay? Uh, In me, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, but oh man, whenever I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I called on him for forgiveness of sin, I called on him for forgiveness, for mercy, for salvation. The Bible says an incredible thing happened. I was baptized into the person of Christ. I am in him and he dwells in my heart through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. It's reckoned mine. I didn't do any of it. I didn't earn any of it. That's the finished work of Christ at Calvary. He died for my sin. He paid the penalty for my wickedness. He was was killed for my sin, but he rose to eternal life. And when I was 12 years old, I believed it. I believed the gospel. I believed that God loved me so much, he took my place and suffered God's wrath in my stead. And whenever I called on him to be my Lord and Savior, he did it. And now I'm in him and he is in me. When God the Father looks at me, he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And here I am, having the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. Well, I live in a wicked world, don't I? You do too. You have, believer, imputed righteousness. How are you living it out? Are you vexing your righteous soul because you won't separate from a lost and wicked world? Man, every time I turn turn around, I catch myself vexing my righteous soul. Oh God, help us to be holy because he is holy. Because our lives have no impact, no power when we live like the lost world. This is what we're gonna see in this chapter. Lot effectively loses his family. 
He certainly doesn't, he, he isn't used of the Lord to rescue his neighbors. Everybody perishes in this judgment because his life had no power. God calls us to be holy. How would we expect the lost world to pay attention to anything that we say about the word of God, the things of God, the, persons of, the person of God when we live like hell, when we live like the lost world? God calls us to be holy. First Peter chapter one, verse 15 says, he hath called you is holy, so be you, but as he, as he which hath called you is holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So it's not like on Sunday we need to have the right conversation, we need to say the right words, we need to roll the right way, but on Monday we get to live like hell. Don't take a man-made religious approach to your relationship with God. You just throw enough Hail Marys at it, it's all gonna work out. What? No, God is worth being right with Monday through Friday. Okay, I can say with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter seven, I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I know who I am in the flesh, but I also know who I am in the person of Christ. And so for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I wanna put off the old man, and I wanna put on the new. I wanna walk after the spirit so that I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I want so that whenever I speak, the lost world says there's something different about that nut. There's something different about that dude. He actually believes there's a God and he's following him. Whenever I speak the truth of the gospel, I want it to be in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't wanna just say words at people, I want the word of God to break people's hearts. Well, it's not gonna happen when I'm whoring after the lost world. Titus chapter two, verse 14 says that Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. You don't get to live any way you want to. You're created unto good works. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. First Peter two, verse nine says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Man, did you know you're a prince? Did you know you're a princess? Did you know that if you're in Christ, you're a child of the king? You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. How can the lost world, how can we see them converted when they see no reason for it in the church? And they know, you know, yeah, you believe, we got so many people who call themselves Christians, but you know, get high, mess around, bend your gender. Oh yeah, yeah, you love God, but you don't care what he says or thinks. Why would the lost world pay any attention to us? Fish don't catch fish, right? A, a carnal people don't care about the conversion of the lost world, but oh man, if God's got our heart, if God's got our life, now we've got God's heart for the lost world our heart's gonna be broken for people who are perishing in sin. Won't we throw ourselves? <laughs> won't, we, won't we make sure they trip over us, at least trip over us on their way to hell? The carnal Christian isn't concerned about converting the lost world. Look at verse four. Notice the extent of the homosexuality. Notice the extent of the depravity in verse four. Who is it? The men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about both old and young, all the people from every quarter. It's systemic throughout the entire society. 
Uh, Everybody's in on it. So it's not just the fact that there was sin in Sodom. It's not just the fact that they were mean and they lacked hospitality and they didn't treat strangers right. No, this was a complete corruption of the culture that God's addressing. Let me give you some homework. Romans chapter one says what it means, it means what it says. Uh, That would be a companion passage to what we're reading here in Genesis chapter 19. So I I wanna invite you uh, to do your homework and check it out. And because the culture is completely corrupt, God is getting ready to hit the reset button. It's just like what we saw in Genesis chapter six. In Genesis chapter six, all flesh was corrupted before the Lord. And so there's a parallel here between Sodom and the overthrow of the world during the time or the life of Noah. Uh, And so I want us to see that parallel, just like Noah was saved before judgment fell on a corrupt society. All flesh was corrupted before him. Uh, There's giants in the land. Uh, Evil is good, good is evil. There's one family that's upright in its generations. Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so before tribulation comes, the believer is effectively raptured out. That's what we're seeing, that same picture here in Genesis chapter 19. Before total judgment falls, before tribulation comes, the believer is raptured out. Genesis 6, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. His family, their flesh was not corrupted like it says in Genesis 6. And Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, the earth, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So here in Genesis 6, God has to set the re- hit the reset button on the human genome. Noah is rescued. An ark is filled with all life in whose nostrils is the breath of life so that the earth, life in the earth can continue after the flood. Well, so also here in Genesis 19, there's gonna be a complete reset in the valley of Sodom and Lot will be rescued before Uh, this takes place. So also, I mean, we're living in the last of the last days before tribulation, great tribulation is unleashed on this lost world. God will rescue the believers. The rapture of the church will take place. There will be another, I mean, the Bible just keeps repeating, doesn't it? Uh, The problem is, is people don't study their Bible and so history keeps repeating itself. I want you to notice, just turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter two. This wicked culture has a corrupting effect, that's your next blank, it has a corrupting effect on Lot. Lot knows what's, he knows what's right and wrong, he understands what is sin, but it's messing with him, he's making an excuse for it, and as a result, he does incalculable damage to his family. Second Peter chapter two, let's pick it up in verse four. Uh, the Bible makes this, makes sure that you make the connection between Genesis six and Genesis 19. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, that's exactly what we saw in Genesis chapter six. Uh, they came and were 
the agent that corrupted the whole of humanity, save Noah's family. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So here we had all flesh corrupted. Genesis six, we saw systemic sexual sin in society. So also, just like Genesis six, there will be a total reset, total destruction in this valley here in Genesis chapter 19. And so notice the first word in verse six, and, right, it's the same, right? And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an, an ensample unto, all, unto those that after should live ungodly. Everybody in humanity ought to read Genesis chapter 19 and tremble. What that, that isolated pocket of judgment is, is, is the measure of how God views sin. And it should make us tremble, it should make us careful. They are an example, it's like, it's like Acts, you know, in Acts chapter five, Ananias and Sapphira, we saw that last time. Um, Sarah lied to the Lord, it's a big deal. At the beginning of the church age, at the beginning of the age of grace, a couple lied to the Lord and they fall down dead. Well, everybody in this room has lied to the Lord and you're still breathing. What's going on? Well, you've already got an ensample of how God views it lying in this dispensation. Uh, we don't wanna do that. We wanna be honest with the Lord. Let's not lie to him. Well, so also, the world's been full of pockets, broad sections, complete. I mean, I mean <laughs> sexual sin didn't go away with Genesis chapter 19, did it? No, the ensample has been set. Well, why haven't all the, you know, why haven't these other cultures, why hasn't our society been judged over sexual sin? Well, because God is not willing that any would perish. God's very patient. God's holding out hope for the conversion of more souls. But judgment is coming. Verse seven says, and he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse nine, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, praise the Lord. That teaches us how to pray, doesn't it? And that's what the Lord did with the disciples, didn't he? Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. So we know how to pray, but the last part of verse nine makes me tremble. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, the Lord knoweth how to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Man, who will be punished? Why will they punish? How will they be punished? Verse 10, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord, but these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Man, you see the lost world raging against authority. And the Bible's perspective on that is, is they don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't understand, they're completely corrupt, they're gonna perish in that. If they don't wake up, they're going to perish. 
and receive, right, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Do you see that? They count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. We're seeing that all over the world now, aren't we? Spots are they and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Brothers and sisters, birds of a feather flock together. Be careful who you flock with. Right, careful who you party with because some are rushing headlong to their own destruction. They don't care what's true. They don't think God is there. If he is there, they don't think he cares. He's certainly not looking and they're gonna do what they want, the way they want, how they wanna do it and you're evil if you won't join them. And that's Lot's problem. Lot wasn't willing to separate from a wicked lifestyle. So get this down in your notes. What we're gonna see here in chapter 19 is the fact that Lot is now warped by his culture. He's warped by this depraved culture. Look at the text. He was willing to sacrifice his daughter's virginity, even their lives. He's willing to sacrifice them to fend off this, these sodomite men who desired to molest and rape these angels. Now again, we'll see down in verse 14, he's trying to convince his sons-in-law so likely he's got married daughters as well, but there's still two unwed girls in his home and he's willing to give them up. So the spiritual rot that's in Lot, it doesn't just stay with dad, does it? Uh, the daughters got messed up too, didn't they? Even Lot's daughters were perfectly willing to get dad drunk and commit incest with him. In verses 30 through 38, that's how the chapter ends. I mean, what a mess. Their children become the, co- I mean, the constant enemies of the nation of Israel. The Moabites, uh, they say, I'm not an expert in the language, but they say the word Moab kinda sounds like the words from father. Who are these people? They're from father. Uh, It's like a play on words. And who do they grow up to be? Well, they're, they're inbred in their thinking. That's what they are. In Numbers chapter 22, you see them messing with their cousin Israel. They're messing with cousin Israel to bring them into fornication with them in order to get God to judge the nation of Israel, to punish them. What a mess. Ben Ami means son of my kinsman. Uh, Yeah, you know, his grandpa's his daddy. And he's the father of the children of Amnon. And give you some more homework. You can see what a hot mess they are in Judges chapter 10. Mom, dad, how you live impacts your children. Galatians 6, 7 says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. By the end of chapter 19, by the end of chapter 19, you can know for a fact that Lot wishes he would have moved anywhere else. That he would have lived anywhere else rather than raise his family in Sodom. Sodom's willingness, even though he knows it's wrong, his willingness to go along to get along, he loses his kids in the process. So get this down in your notes. The decision of a parent can have repercussions across generations. As a matter of fact, you can mess up your family to the third and fourth generations, the Bible says. So get this down in your notes. If the devil can destroy your relationship with God, then he can more easily control the next generation. 
Why? Well, because kids get their boundaries from their parents. So if you're a mess, guess what? Your kids are gonna be worse. Lot messes with sin, so also his kids. I mean, the daughters that survive get him drunk so that they can have babies. They think they're the last three people on the planet, and so that, you know, how's humanity gonna move forward? They don't think, they don't know how to think. They don't think anything through. They don't, they don't seek the Lord on what they should do. They just get dad drunk, and they get babies. So get this down in your notes. Mom, dad, how not to raise a hoochie? That's what we need. Mom, dad, how do we do this? Number one, give your kids attention. It needs to be right attention. How do we do that? The Bible tells us to train up our children in the way that they should go. Don't let them go feral. Teach them. Mom, dad, you're a teacher, you're a trainer. Teach your children. Train them how they should live, what the word of God says, and then model that with your own life. Do you believe the word of God? Then you'll live the word of God. Your kids will see it. If you don't believe the word of God, you won't live the word of God. Your kids will see it. Your kids will take God seriously if you do. Give your kids attention. Don't let them run wild. How they, how, when they grow up, how they think, their ability to know how to think, their ability to know how to find truth, their ability to know how to process what the lost world is throwing at them, that's on you. Number two, give your kids affirmation. You wanna encourage them to want what's right, to do what's right. You wanna encourage them to, you know, as they endeavor for the Lord, recognize that. But then you gotta model your own zeal for the Lord. Again, your kids learn what's important by how you view what's important. And then lastly, number three, give your kids affection. Mom, dad, unconditional love is a powerful protection. They don't have to go looking for love in all the wrong places because you've already affirmed them. You've already, you've already shown them that God's worth being right with. You've already taught them that they are precious to the Lord and they can wait and live their life God's way. Pour Christ's love for them out on them, right? Love them unconditionally. So this is the principle. What we're seeing in Genesis chapter 19 is the sins of the father are reaped in the children. In verse 14, Lot goes out. He tries to save his family. And his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, said, uh, it, Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So they thought he was joking that he was messing with them. And the guy's freaked out, he's trembling, he's crying out to them, and they don't take him seriously. Lot is so carnal, he doesn't win anybody for the Lord in his city, he doesn't even win anybody in his family. The two daughters that come with him come because they have to, they're still in his home. So his testimony before his family is worthless. They, his sons-in-law mock him because they have no respect for his spiritual walk. He talks religion, but he lives like Sodom. He doesn't fear the Lord, so his sons-in-law don't fear the Lord because Lot's life shows no fear of the Lord. He doesn't take the things of God seriously. The angels, before judgment falls, the angels almost have to force Lot's deliverance from this wicked place. 
Let's pick it up in verse 12 and we'll see how God answers Abraham's prayer. The men said unto Lot, hast thou here any besides sons, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law which married his daughters and said, up, get you out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened, right? They hastened Lot saying, arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So the A-bomb, the H-bomb, the timer's already set. Right, the countdown to destruction has begun. You have to get out. While he was lingering, verse 16, and while he lingered, the men, the angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord. Behold, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou showed unto me in saving my life. And I, and I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it's a little one, it's a little city, right? Don't make me go to the mountains, right? Some, some mountain lion will get me, uh, robbers will take me out. Can I just go to this little city? It's, just let, let me go a little way. I, I don't wanna completely flee coming destruction, I just wanna narrowly avoid it. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. And the sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. So I, I want us to pay attention to the unholy mentality now of Lot. Lot doesn't want to leave. I mean, it's judgment day and the angels have to force him out of their home. And then he doesn't want to do what he's told. He doesn't want to go to the mountain. He wants to go to a city close by. Brothers and sisters, beloved, what do you long for? What's in your heart? What do you long for? What do you love? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the things of God? We've got so many people that say they love Jesus, but they couldn't give a rip what he says. And the Lord says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In the last in the last days, you know, in the day of the Lord, okay, uh, there will be people who will call him Lord, Lord, and the Lord will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. 
It's not enough for you to call yourself a Christian or a Bible believer. Are you in Christ? Do you take God at his word? That's the question. Lot, he's a righteous man. God imputes this righteousness to him. But he doesn't love God. He doesn't love the things of God. He loves the Sodom lifestyle. And his wife was told not to look back. She can't help herself. She becomes a pillar of salt. Jesus said to remember Lot's wife. Let it be a warning. Luke chapter 17, verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. Just like it was in Genesis chapter six. That's what it's gonna be like when Jesus returns. Uh, in Genesis chapter six, they were messing with the human genome. You've got giants, I mean, this is the time, go back and get those notes, okay? This is the time that Marvel is telling stories about. They're making a lot of money telling stories about Genesis chapter six. What's happening in the last days? Oh yeah, we're messing with the human genome. Uh, in the last days, there was a corruption of human flesh. Well, that's what's happening in the last days. You've got angelic beings marrying the daughters of men, so you've got sexual, oh, that's what's happening in the last days. They, they did eat, they drank and married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not return back. Verse 32, remember Lot's wife. What do you long for? Jesus refers to all of this regarding his second coming in Matthew chapter 11. He invokes this story again. He says, woe unto thee, Chorazin. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you, the things that Christ were performing, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, this is just north of the Sea of Galilee, mighty works are being done there. Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Because they remembered not Lot's wife, these cities of Galilee are destroyed in the last days. Jesus warns them, when I come back, it's on like Donkey Kong because you will not pay attention. You will not take seriously the ensample of Genesis 6, the ensample of Genesis 19. You think it's gonna, it didn't work out for them, but somehow the same junk is gonna work out for you? They remembered not Lot's wife. Uh, I put this in your notes. Um, you see the same parallel in terms of Babylon's fate, and I gave you the cross-references for that. You can study that out for yourself. You say, yeah, man, it, it just, it, it really sucks to be Capernaum. Capernaum, right? I mean, that's just, that's, that's rough for them. Think about the examples that God's given you. Think about the level of accountability that God's holding you to. You have the whole counsel of God's word. To whom much is given, much is required. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. 
So here it is. You can't say I didn't know. You can't say that. Uh, Number one, you're sitting here this morning. (laughs) You can't say I had no idea. And so I just, you know, I lived like hell because I wanted to and it seemed right and, and it felt good to me. I did what was right in my own eyes. No, you, you can't do that. God loves you. That's why he gave you his word. That's why he's calling you to a life in Christ. You say, well, I, man, I've received Christ. I, I've, I've committed my life to him. He's my Lord and my Savior. Okay, I, I, I believe you. I mean, if Lot was a righteous man, and what, I mean, what a mess he made of his family, and the Bible says he's a righteous man. I, I believe you. Do you live Christ? Is he really your Lord? Lord means master. If Christ is your Lord, that means he literally owns you. You do not belong to yourself. You're bought with a price. Wherefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit because they're not yours, they're the Lord's. Jesus gave his life. He shed his blood to buy you out of iniquity and sin and damnation and judgment. He bought you out of that. Do you belong to you or do you belong to the Lord? If you belong to you, well then you're gonna answer to yourself and you're gonna do what's right in your own eyes. But if you belong to the Lord, then what he says settles it. Let God be true and every man a liar. What does the books, oh man, brothers and sisters, if we could just learn to be biblicists. Because one of these days, we're gonna be on the other side. Whether that's the end of your life or the end of this age, Everything in the Bible will be found to be true and you'll either be rejoicing or you're gonna be sorrowing. You have to do the math. I absolutely believe this book is the very word of God. It has proven itself to me over and over, countless times. I tremble at what's in this book. I also rejoice at what's in this book. You better do the math. You've got one life. Don't go through it with your head in the sand. Don't go through it ignoring God's love. Don't go through it ignoring the warning of coming judgment. Don't do that. God loves you. He's worth being right with. And we can have a right relationship with him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Okay, here it is, verse 27. And Abraham got up, he got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord and he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld. And lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him for he feared to dwell in Zoar. Now the judgment's fallen. He's like, maybe those angels had a good idea. Better get up to the mountain. He dwelt in the cave, he and his two daughters, and the firstborn said unto the younger, our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, behold, I lay yesternight, with my father, let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. If that is not a warning against getting drunk, I don't know what is. 
Uh, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Uh, what a mess. Thus were the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab. And the same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son and called his name Ben-Ami, right? The name, or the same, is the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So just a few closing points. Lot is double-minded, notice that. And it's manifest in his reaction to Sodom's destruction. Uh, in verse 30, he was afraid to flee to the mountains. Uh, in, well, in verse 19, he was afraid to flee to the mountains. But once judgment comes, he decides he better pay attention to the word of the Lord. So now he goes up to Zoar, uh, and he holds up, uh, or I'm sorry, he went up to Zoar, but now he's holding up in a mountain in a cave. And that's what you'll see consistently in the scripture. People who are losing or hiding in caves. Joshua's adversaries hide in caves. Kings are hiding in caves. In Revelation 6, even David, when he's fleeing from Saul, he's hiding in caves. Lessons from the life of Lot. He lost his wealth. He lost his leadership. He lost his position. He lost his family. His married children perished in Sodom. His wife perished because her heart was still in Sodom. His unmarried daughters brought Sodom's immorality with them and committed drunken incest with her father. Another lesson from the life of Lot is that of Sodom. They had very much, I mean, they were very much full of gay pride. Pride is a poor position to take before the Lord. They were proud, they were open about their sin. And anybody that didn't agree with them was the enemy, will do worse to you. You see the mentality? Isn't history repeating itself? Isaiah 3, 9 says, the show of their countenance doth witness against them as they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not, woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. So in that moment of rage and rebellion, they're setting themselves up for the next level of hell. God forbid. Verse 19 shows that they were violent. Um, the, just check out the statistics. Household violence in homosexual homes is much higher than the rest of society. Even after they're blinded, they're groping, they're still trying to achieve violent sin in verse 11. H.B. Carroll says, after every one of them was stricken blind, they groped for the door still to commit that sin. If you want a picture of the persistence of an evil passion, when a heart is hard and the neck stiffened, when the soul is incorrigible and obdurate, take the picture of these people, blinded by the judgment of God, yet still groping for the door. God have mercy on us and our witness. I'm praying that we can rescue a few souls before the end of days. Lessons from the life of Lot. Lot's acceptance and willingness to go along, to get along, didn't help anybody. Man, somebody's gotta stand up and tell the truth. Somebody's gotta speak the truth in love. Yeah, we wanna do it in a winsome way, but man, I don't wanna ever be apolog apologetic for what the Bible says. I don't wanna ever be in a place where I'm trying to explain away the word of God so that the lost world will think I'm respectable. I want God to be pleased with his child. <laughs> I wanna agree with my father. Verse 24, God judges sin. 
In verse 13, they said they would destroy, destroy the place. That judgment came in a day. And the citizens of Sodom would hate this message today. Or, I mean, then they would have hated this message, but today they're in hell. Jude 7 says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an ensample, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Look at what the Bible says. Where are they today? Those citizens who were overthrown in Genesis chapter 19, today they're suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They would have said this is a deplorable message back in the days of Genesis 19. And they would say that somebody like me saying what I'm saying is not fit for the society. I'm gonna spend forever with my Father in heaven. We should see their example and tremble to pursue their ungodly life. Again, read 2 Peter chapter two. Look at the overthrow, it's complete. There is nothing to sustain life in Sodom, even to this day, it's covered by the Dead Sea. Lot's daughters, I mean, lessons from the light, a lot. I mean, they lived what they were taught or not at home. They're, they're just living what they know. Mom, dad, you are responsible to protect your children from the corruption of the lost world. You're responsible to instruct them in the word of God. You're responsible to envision them for a life live for God alone. Train up your children in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart. Section number four, that's just homework for you. Lessons from the angels, you get a lot of insight from this passage, they're men. Uh, they weren't comfortable in Sodom. They had supernatural ability, they were compassionate, they were obedient, but they were absolutely on mission and they were willing to condescend to help this family. Father, I come to you now in Jesus' name and Lord, I'm asking that you'd help us. Lord, help us today, help us to tremble at your word, help us to see the truth of your word. Lord, help us to see your love for the lost. Lord, from the beginning, you were never willing that we would perish in Genesis 2. Uh, you warned us against sin, and yet we pursued it. And nothing has changed. You've always been waiting, you've always been forgiving but you said judgment was coming and you did everything, you fell all over yourself to keep us from judgment. How could anyone look at the cross and not know, not be convinced that you're absolutely desperate that we would be saved from coming destruction? And Lord, you, you, you've got these pockets of judgment that are a warning. Lord, help us to heed the warning. Help us to take you seriously. God, help us to take you at your word. God, I'm praying if there's anyone here today that has been explaining you away, that has been explaining away their need to call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, if there are any believers here today that, that Lord, we need, to, we need to repent of following Lot's example, that, Lord, that today would be a day of repentance, that today would be a day where we rededicate our life to Christ. God, you're worth being right with. You prove it over and over again. God, help us to heed this warning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.